I read an article while I was away, and it kind of, I guess, led me in this direction. I want to talk about something. won't be able to do it justice today by any stretch of the imagination. But I want to talk just briefly about loneliness. I think it's a real problem. And uh, I think there's two forms of loneliness. One is, you might say, an emotional kind of a uh, self-loneliness, and the other is a spiritual loneliness. And I think that'll make more sense in just a few minutes. But I want to start talking about what I I said is emotional loneliness. That's the loneliness we feel and we don't uh, see somebody we're around, don't have a close relationship with others, uh, the things we probably think about when we say we feel lonely. Just did a little bit of brief research prior to, well, I'd say 2019, before a lot of things kicked off. Uh, it was an estimate that about 31% either felt lonely often, sometimes, or always. Tragically, during and after COVID, can we say after yet? We'll just say during. We saw those numbers dramatically increase. The greatest generation, 38% of them felt lonely. Boomers, y'all know who you are, about 50%. Generation X, about 65%. Millennials, 71%. And Generation Z, 79%. It's the opposite of what we would think, right? So I think we have a real problem with loneliness. And in fact, some of our youngest people appear to be the most lonely. Another surprising factor in this is that men are more lonely than women across all generations. So this is a real problem for us, and I think it's one that, as makes sense, Many people struggle in silence over, if you will. I think to some degree, technology has actually made this worse. All this technology that we think we developed to keep us connected oftentimes serves for the exact opposite reason. If you drive through a neighborhood that's 50 to 60 years old or so, you'll see that almost every house has something on the front of it we call a porch. And that's for a very specific reason, because prior to air conditioning, especially in the hot south like here, you'd go sit on the front porch, and you'd often go to your neighbor's house, and there was a community that revolved around the porch in the afternoon when it got hot. Of course, we developed air conditioning, which I'll be honest, I'm very thankful for, but that keeps us all now inside of our houses and separate from everyone else, which is very interesting. Television kind of brings us together, but we all sit there silently apart. We see how that's had an effect on families and relationships. The Internet has done the same thing. We used to go out to events, whether it be a concert, and since we're Baptists, I guess we didn't go to dances, but we went to other social gatherings (laughs) and the things of that nature, and now we just sit alone with our Internet. Phones were a great invention, I don't remember party lines, but many of you do. And, of course, we'd have people get together on the phone and talk to each other. And 
now our phones seem to be a solitary activity where we stare at a screen and kind of communicate with others sometimes. And so many of the things that have been designed to bring us together seem to actually kind of push us apart in a way. I saw a phrase many years ago, and it said that we are all together alone. Now, that's a three-word phrase. I don't mean all together alone. I mean we're all together, but we're still alone. And our technology and the use of these devices brings us oftentimes physically together, but we're still alone. And we're far less community-oriented than we used to be. I kind of mentioned this and thought about this with Sister Beulah and all the changes that she saw in her life over 100 years. Growing up on a farm not very far away, I mentioned at the graveside that she made a 100-year almost exact circle. She was born a few yards in a log cabin from where she was laid to rest and spent most of her life orbiting a very small area. We don't do that anymore. We move all over the place. And in some cases, that's great. We get to visit and find new places. At the same time, a lot of the community that we had is no longer there. And a lot of this can bring on a sense of loneliness, a sense of being alone and not having someone else. As I said, this is not just a spiritual issue, it's an emotional one. And I think this is one that God recognized very early on. It wasn't a surprise to him. But you'll notice in Genesis 2.18, he said this, God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And so God knew that Adam just being alone with the animals, it wasn't just enough to be in nature. It wasn't just enough to have animals. He needed to have someone else with him to be together to go through life. And it's important for us to understand that. I've mentioned this numerous times, so it's not really a surprise, but I'll say it again. I, on several of occasions, would uh, call Brother Josh, who was here, I guess, last week, and I would pour my heart out to him, and then I would tell him, well, I feel bad because I feel like I should be doing this in prayer. And his response generally was, yes, but God made us to be together, and we need each other. And that's very, very true. We need each other. We need to be with each other. We are designed to have each other on many different levels. Hebrews 10, 24 says this, and I'll spend a few minutes there if you'd like to turn. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day dawning near. Now, there's a lot packed into these two verses here, so let's unpack it for just a minute. It says, let us consider, it means thoughtfully, how to stir one another up. Let me use a couple other words in different translations. To spur, to motivate, provoke, encourage, or stimulate one another. You see, there is more to our lives than being completely separate from individuals and thinking how I can self-motivate myself, how I can stir myself up. No, we are to think about how we can spur, motivate, provoke, and encourage one another. And we can only do that when we are communicating with one another. 
And I will contend, and I teach this in my classes, that communicating is not just a one-word projection, which is often what we do, let's be honest, on social media. We think we're communicating because we put some message out there that others will see, but unless we're having a give and pull back, we're actually conversing with someone, which implies we listen to what they say and receive feedback and give back and forth. We're not really communicating. We are to spur, motivate, provoke, and encourage each other. To what? Well, the Scripture tells us to love. We've talked about love before. Love requires an interaction with someone. If I tell someone that I love them but never actually spend time with them, my words fall flat, don't they? It means to love someone that you want to communicate with them, to spend time with them, to know them, and to be known by them. So we are to consider how to stir or to motivate each other into love, but also to do good works and good deeds. We're to serve one another. We're to spend time thinking about how we can help others, to encourage them, to love them, and to do good things for them. And one of the primary ways that we do this is not forsaking the assembly together. Now, what does that mean? I've heard this preached many times throughout my life, and I think often it's talking about a Sunday morning service that you're at now. Yes, it includes that. There is no doubt there it is important for us to come for our regular church services, but I contend that it goes beyond that. It is not just a once or twice a week gathering, but when it talks about coming together, when it talks about uh, spurring each other to good works and not neglecting to meet together, I think that includes all of the activities that we do as Christians, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we get together and we have a meal together, as we did, well, you did last Sunday, that is a good thing. If that means we get together and have a time where we have a charity auction, as we did over a month ago, and laugh and eat and have a good time, that is a good thing. Any time that we can be together is something that we should seek out to do. But as I said, our society tends to fight against us. We have our air conditioning, we have our comfort, we have our internet, we have our television, and it tends to block us in instead of helping us get out. So we must be purposeful. We must be motivated. We must provoke each other. We must encourage and stimulate each other to come together, to be together, to do things for the Lord together. This is why it's so wonderful that we have a church cleanup day when we all come together and do something, or when we all go out to eat, or whatever it is that we do. These are good things and should be done. So yes, come to your church service at regular times, but do not neglect getting together. We should love, we should do good works, and we should fellowship. And get this, it says, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, this was written some 2,000 years ago, so the day is getting closer. We should be doing these things more. We should be encouraging each other more. We should be spending more time together. Why? Because the world is evil and we do not belong to it. And so we should be coming together. Now I want to shift gears slightly and say that some of you may or may not be experiencing loneliness, but I'd say all of us have had times when we felt lonely. And that's not unusual. 
Even for people who are following the Lord, we can feel lonely from time to time. Just a couple of quick examples. Leah, in Genesis 29, is Rachel's sister. She wasn't loved. And had to compete with her sister for attention and affection from her husband. Hagar didn't get along with Sarah, and Sarah cast her out basically into the desert to die, and she went alone and called out to God. Elijah fled for his life, was fed by the ravens, marched off into the desert and sat down under a tree and said, God, just kill me. There's no one left but me. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, wasn't even accepted by his own people. His own tribe, his own culture kicked him out. Didn't want to hear what he had to say. David was anointed king, but actually didn't get to rule for many years. And then when he finally did, his son tried to kill him and so on and so forth. And in fact, twice we have things that he said here. Psalms 142 and 2 says, Look to the right and see, there is no one who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. Psalms 25, he says this, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. These men and women who knew the Lord understood that there are times in their lives that they are lonely, that they feel separated, that their own family despises and rejects them, that those who they belong to, their tribe, their culture, those who they are trying to preach to, push them away, and they know what it's like to be rejected and sent out alone. And they have times when they feel lonely and they feel separated. But if you look at almost every single time, what did they do? They went to the Lord. They prayed and told God how they were feeling and what they were feeling. And the Lord met their need. And so even Christians, even those who are saved, can be emotionally lonely. But this is not the perfect design. We need to be in fellowship. Fellowship with each other. Because this is how God has designed it. Turn with me to 1 John 1, 1 through 4. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. This will be kind of a a bridging verse, if you will, from the fellowship we're talking about, the loneliness that we can feel emotionally, and the spiritual loneliness that we can have as well. So 1 John... Chapter 1, verse 1 says this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. And so here John and the others are saying, look, we have seen, we have touched, we know the very truth. Who are they talking about? Jesus Christ. We know that God was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because we saw him, because we lived with him, because we touched him, because we know that he is true. And we are telling you about him. And then he continues in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing 
these things so that our joy may be complete. And so here what the Apostle John is telling us is that he is sharing the gospel with us so that there may be a shared fellowship between those who believe in Jesus Christ. Between those who are saved and know the free pardon of sin, who know who Jesus is, who have received him, that we have a fellowship together because we are separated and we are different. When the Lord comes into your life and you are a new creature and a new creation, you then seek out others who have had a similar experience. And we see this all through the scripture. We see this on the walk to Emmaus when the two men after Christ was crucified were walking together and Christ showed up. They didn't know who he was. And they're talking and they're talking and they're talking. And when he finally disappears, they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us? Have you ever talked with someone that you just knew, knew the Lord? You ever met somebody and had your spirits commune with each other where you just know that they know the Lord? You can have a special and a different fellowship, whether they have the same look on their skin or whether they have the same denomination. If they know the Lord and you know the Lord, somehow there is a connection there that is vital and important and different. Brother and sister, you mentioned on your bus ride that you came together in like a family because there were others who knew the Lord, right? We are surrounded by people who know the Lord and we have an opportunity to seek them out and we should seek them out so that we are not lonely. But the important part of this is that second part. Those it says, so that you may have fellowship with us, the writer of the epistle, those who are, know him. And indeed, our fellowship, so all of us, is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Because when we fellowship with each other, we have a fellowship that involves knowing the Lord. A couple other verses that I just couldn't pass up on today. I'm kind of verse heavy, but I don't think you mind. Proverbs 27 and 17 says, iron sharpens iron. And so one man sharpens another. It's important for us to be together, to fellowship with each other, not only just to prevent the feelings of loneliness, but to become better Christians, to become better followers of who we are following, to know and grow more. I am sure many of us have some friends who sharpen each other don't we? I have one friend in particular. I thought of him over the last week. He's a really good arguer. And he just pokes at me constantly in a really healthy way. And I always said, if I ever got to some level of like importance in a job, like I'd hire him to be right underneath me just so he could come in and be like, "Mm," and then give me an alternative viewpoint because I need that. We need that within our spiritual lives and within our emotional lives. We need people who will sharpen us, who will challenge our beliefs, who will encourage us, who will help us to do better in life. Matthew 18 and 20 says, For where there are two or three gathered in my name, there I am among them. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? Well, we hear that one a lot, don't we? We should. We hear it a lot talked about marriages. But I think even more than marriage, while it's true, 
It's also true with those who we are close friends with in this world. We should be together with those who are like us. What fellowship has light with darkness? When you're in an environment that's completely dark, you turn on a light, then there isn't darkness anymore. The two don't co-mingle. It's either light or it is dark. The darkness instantly flees from the light. And so the example given here is what do we have to do with those who are darkness? And if you are a saved Christian individual who knows the Lord and the Lord knows you, then what do we have to do with people who are actually the opposite, which is darkness? Because there isn't an in-between. There isn't a, well, I'm kind of saved, but I kind of live in the world. And there isn't a, I live in the world and I'm kind of saved. You are one or the other. And when we unite together with someone, this is something we ought to consider. Doesn't mean you can't have a friend who isn't saved or isn't a Christian. Doesn't mean you can't have a relative or someone you enjoy being around who doesn't come to church or doesn't know the Lord. But it really calls into sharp question whether we should yoke or work as a team together with people who do not know the Lord. It is important, rather, that we spend time with those who are saved and know the Lord. We should be together to fellowship with each other. Just as we shouldn't align with those who are darkness, we should align with those who are light. And this requires purposeful action in our lives. Now, I mentioned spiritual fellowship. This is only possible through Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Colossians 1 and 21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. Well, which one of us was alienated, hostile in our mind and doing evil deeds? Everyone raise your hand. It is the natural state of man to be separated from God. So if you feel lonely from God, it could be that you've never been saved because that is our natural state to be an enemy with God. Romans 5:10 says for while for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son so much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And so we see that we are eternally separated from the God. We cannot have fellowship with him and we will be lonely from our relationship with him until we are reconciled, made right in God's image. And that only happens through our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, in the blood sacrifice that he gave for us. There is no other person, there is no other thing that can connect us with God save the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Many have tried since the beginning of time to find some way to not be alienated or separated or lonely from God. But the only way is faith in Jesus Christ. We must be saved to have that fellowship. Going back to 1 John 1, 6 through 7. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, here it comes, one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. 
And so those of us who have experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, not only do we now have a relationship with God, we are not strangers, we are not far from Him. In fact, His Spirit lives inside of us, and we have 24-hour access to God. There is no reason, once we are saved, for us to feel lonely or separated from God because we have been cleansed through His blood. And more than this, it says we have fellowship with one another for this exact same reason. This is why, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes we just have this connection with others because there is a spiritual bond. James 4 and 4 says, You adulterous people, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is a very serious problem. Many who have come to know the Lord try to hang on to the world. As I said earlier, we try to have our feet in both camps. We try and be just like everybody else and have a little bit of Jesus on the side. And this is not what the Lord demands. It's not what he requires. It's not what he expects. Fill in the blank. If we want to be close with him, then we have to be wholly devoted to living as he commands and not living as the rest of the world does. If we are seeking to be spiritually um, alive and to have fellowship with the Lord, then it comes only through Him and only by Him. Nothing in the world is going to satisfy that. And so that's why I said at the very beginning, we can have emotional loneliness and we can have (coughs) spiritual loneliness. No matter how many good friends that you have, no matter how emotionally you're satisfied, you're together, you're doing all these things we talked about. If you are separated from the Lord, then you will be lonely or separated from Him. A whole bunch of friends doesn't make up for that. But as I said, there are times that we can feel lonely, even if we are saved. Proverbs eighteen twenty eight, another verse that says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That friend is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me try and bring all this to a close. If you've never been saved, if you've never experienced the forgiveness of your sins, then you are alone and without God. Think about that for a minute. We like to cover this up sometimes in our society and pile other things on so that we don't recognize or feel the reality. If you've not been saved, then you are alone from God. You are separated from him. And when you realize this for the first time, we have a tradition. We often call this being lost because it's that point in your life usually comes fairly early when you realize that the Lord speaks to you and you realize that you are separated from him. Now we use that phrase and maybe many of us are not familiar with what it feels like, but try and think back to a time when you were lost as in you're at the grocery store and all of a sudden you can't find a parent or you're on a hike and you don't know where you're at. Or you're driving down the road and you can't figure out where you're supposed to be at or where you are. If you are by yourself, it can be what? Terrifying. 
I remember a couple of times I got separated from my parents in different crowds as a young kid. And it's absolutely terrifying for a few minutes, isn't it? So you kind of get your bearing and find out where you're at. The reality is this. If you do not know the Lord, if you've never been saved, that's why we call you lost. It's the exact same thing. And the Lord will speak to your life and he will tell you, you are not mine. I do not know you and you do not know me. And until there is a point in our lives that we experience this, that we acknowledge it and that we beg and ask for forgiveness and he comes to us and saves us, then we will continue to be lost and separated and lonely spiritually. True and lasting spiritual fellowship only comes from the Lord and only comes from our faith in Him. And so if you are separated from Him today, if you are lost, then you should seek Him and call out to Him. Now for many of us, we have experienced that time in our lives that we were lost. We have experienced that time that we called to him, that we put our faith in him, and that we have been saved. But as I said, that doesn't mean that we will never, ever feel lonely again. It just means that you actually won't be. Let me say that again. For those of us who have a testimony, who've been saved, it doesn't mean that you'll never feel lonely. Notice I said feel. It just means that you never actually will be. Because the spirit that saves you will never, ever, ever leave you. No matter how far away you feel from God, if you've been saved, he is still has his spirit inside of you. He has not forsaken you. He has not left you. We are always the ones who do the leaving. One of those passages, I forget exactly which one that David was talking about being lonely, was after his sin with Bathsheba when he committed adultery. And he felt lonely. Did the Lord leave him? Absolutely not. He was the one who committed the sin. And that in front between him and the Lord made it difficult to see that God was there. And he felt, as a result, lonely and apart from God. The reality was that God had not left him but that he had begun to pull away from the Lord. And so many times in our lives, when we feel spiritually lonely, if you've been saved, and this is important, I want you to understand, if you've been saved, if you know that you've been saved, and you feel lonely apart from God, then examine your life and ask what's going on inside that's keeping you apart. Psalm 68 and 6 says, God makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners into prosperity. Only the stubborn and rebellious dwell in a parched land. So whose fault is that? It's mine. You ever chosen to be stubborn and rebellious? Whew. Nobody shook their head. I'll just shake it for all of us. I sure have. You ever had times you just didn't want to be happy? Didn't want to rejoice over something. We can do that spiritually, and that's a real problem. Because when we get out of practice and out of step, as we get further and further away, we begin to shift the blame to God more and more, not realizing that it's probably us who's at fault. 
Now, if you're emotionally lonely, don't forsake being around other people, especially God's people. Especially God's people. So I'm going to conclude with this. To the lonely and those who aren't very lonely, seek out each other and fellowship with one another. That involves more than a text message. It involves maybe a visit. We're sharing a meal together, worshiping together, working together, praying together, doing things together with other people is vital to help with our emotional and when we do it with other Christians, our spiritual loneliness. We need to do these things together. Somewhere around sixth grade, one of the pastors at our church called and asked if I could come by the church and help him with a project. Well, I was pretty excited. So I went. Looking back on this project, he didn't really need me. We tried a few things. We were trying to turn a, uh, well, it's a problem we've had in this church too, trying to turn a floodlight into a spotlight. It's not always easy. He knew how to solve it. I think he'd uh, had a degree in like television production and all kinds of stuff. But he let me work through the process. We worked through it together as a team. And I think he took me out to lunch afterwards. And as a sixth grader, this was pretty exciting. That man had a huge influence on my life. And he would continue to call me when he probably didn't really need my help. And we'd continue to hang out. And he influenced me, spoke truth into my life. He sharpened me. Maybe every once in a while I like to think I helped sharpen him. Probably not too often. But the point is, we did things together. And it was incredibly beneficial. And so as we look around to those who are in our church, to those who are in our school, to those who are in our places of work, to those uh, family members that we have, that those that we are around, let us just remember to engage other people and not just assume that they don't want to come help. This is very important because you never know. You could make a huge difference to a young person, as some of you have done for so many years. You can make a huge difference to an older person. You could spark a relationship that will speak volumes into someone's spiritual life and emotional life. That man was the best man we got married. He was there when I got saved. He's been a good friend. And I think many times in our society, we just want to do things on our own. And I'm just as guilty of this as probably anyone. I don't want to ask my neighbor to borrow a tool. I'd just rather go to the store and buy a new one or something. But the conversation that comes from going across the street and asking if I can borrow a tool is very beneficial. Sure, I could come to the church and I could fix this thing by myself, but the opportunity to work together is vitally important. Yeah, I could go with the same group or same family member I always do to go have lunch or some meal, but the invitation to someone else can build and grow 
wonderful relationships, especially to those, as I opened with, who are silently a little emotionally lonely. We need to engage each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to compel the love and the work and the good deeds. And we need to especially remember, it's not just women who are lonely. In fact, there's more men statistically who are lonely. And despite what we think, the loneliest people in our society are our youth and our young people. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. Lord, I ask that you would help us to evaluate our lives. Lord, to know whether or not we are spiritually lonely. And Lord, if we are, to tell us, to lead us, whether it's because we do not know you. We've never known you for the first time, and therefore we are, in fact, enemies of you. Or if it's that we have allowed some sin or something else to come in between the relationship that we are to have with you, which is growing our loneliness. Lord, we come to you today and ask that you be with those who are emotionally lonely. Lord, even if that's something we find ourselves in, would you help us, Lord, compel us, Lord, to fellowship with each other, to reach out and say, let's go do this. Come help me with that. And Lord, those of us who are um, okay, we're not lonely. Lord, would you give us the, the mindset to go out and seek anyone, whether they're lonely or not, just to fellowship with. And encourage us to love each other, to do good works and good deeds for each other, to spend time together. Lord, you made us this way. You made us to fellowship. And I pray that you would encourage us to do it. So, Lord, I pray that you would reach into our hearts and our lives and help us to know which direction to go. Help us to have the courage to reach out to you and speak to you. Ask you for the things that we need to speak and to pray to you and with you as we encouraged, or we are encouraged to speak and to pray with others as well. Lord, I ask that you would give us courage to seek out those who are around us, to live this life together the way that you designed it, seeking after you. Lord, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.